and welcome to this week's Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Senior Pastor Perry Duggar continues the series, Sufficiency in Christ, with a message titled, Generosity. This week, we'll consider Paul's encouragement to give for support for those in need. You can always watch a video of this week's message, listen to worship, or search for our message archives. Just visit brookwoodchurch.org slash watch or download the Brookwood Church app. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast to stay up to date with the Sufficiency in Christ series. And now, Pastor Perry Duggar. We speak the name of Jesus, sometimes verbally, other times with no words at all. In fact, it's better to speak it with no words and only use the words when they're necessary. We continue our survey of 2 Corinthians, which I've entitled Sufficiency in Christ. Today's message is entitled Generosity, and it addresses financial giving. The theme, if you'll take out your Bibles, if you're using the Bible that's available here, I'm using uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, just part of that. Again, 2 Corinthians has so many familiar verses. Have you been surprised at that? A lot of them we have stitched on our walls. But this is another one that's very familiar to us. For God loves a person who what? Gives cheerfully. Chapter 9, verse 7. Now, we don't give under compulsion of Old Testament law. Old Testament law did require one-tenth of a person's income. There's some debate that it was actually more than that. But the thinking was not that you owed it to God, but rather you returned to God what was his in the first place, that the first of your income, the first of your animals, the first of your harvest belonged to God. And you only gave back to him what belonged to him anyway. And he let us then use the rest that also belonged to him. Kind of a different view, different way of thinking, but it's a biblical way of thinking. Now, I'm not saying that no one need tithe. I tithe, our pastors tithe, because we think it's a good standard. But we tithe willingly, not because we think we have a Old Testament legal obligation to give that. Rather, under grace, we give out of appreciation for what God has given us through his grace. He's given us salvation. He's given us eternal life. How much do we value that? We give by grace because the grace of God influences our hearts. When we receive the Spirit, it changes us. And it causes us to want to give. So in other words, if, if you, you know, since I don't know who I'm talking about, I can say this. If you're really very stingy, you have to say, has God's grace flooded my life, flooded my heart, flooded my soul? Because if we experience the grace of God, which simply put means unmerited favor, God giving you what you don't deserve, it causes us to take on some of that same behavior and to give generously and sacrificially, particularly to spread 
the good news that has blessed us so that it might bless others throughout the world. So today I focus on 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, but I promise you I will not cover all the verses. And in that passage, Paul introduced the topic of giving by suggesting that a financial collection be taken up in Corinth where they were more prosperous. They were Gentiles. It was a wealthy city. So the the believers there had some assets. So collect up the money and send it to the church in Jerusalem where there were many poor believers. Because understand there were several reasons. But one was that the church in Jerusalem was founded when? What was the occasion? Pentecost. So the people were from everywhere, out of town. They didn't have hotels. These people didn't have assets. And yet they stayed. They were away from their homes. They were away from any employment they may have already had. And so these were poor people whose lives were enriched by what they were learning. But they didn't have assets and they needed help. So this morning I'm going to focus on grace giving. And grace giving happens by faith. The first characteristic of grace giving by faith is that it's given regardless of circumstances. Chapter 8, verse 1. In this Bible available here, it's page 933. Now, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness. Now, some of our translations say kindness. Who has a different word? Grace. The Greek is charis, which is literally grace. And so what we'll see is that in these two chapters, the word grace is used to refer to giving six times. So what God in his grace has done through the churches in Macedonia. Now, the generosity of these Macedonian churches is also mentioned in Romans chapter 15. And Macedonia wasn't a city, it was a region. And so it included the churches of Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. And so he continues at verse 2. They are being tested by many troubles. They suffered from war. The Romans occupied the area. And the Romans plundered the best of livestock and crops that were available. And they are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. The Macedonian churches were struggling, and it may have been mostly because of their faith. Because of their faith, they may have been fired from their jobs. Even if they had their own businesses, they may have been disallowed to participate in trade unions. So they may have been disallowed from selling their products or their crops because these trade unions participated in idolatry. And the Christians, if they said, I'm not doing that, they may have lost their jobs 
Some of you may have been removed from jobs because you took stands of faith. That's what they were suffering under. Verse three, for I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They gave sacrificially. It wasn't like Paul was pressuring them to do it because he knew they were impoverished. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. Again, you see the word privilege? The word privilege could be literally translated, they begged for the privilege or for the grace to participate in this grace. Because giving is referred to as grace. It's a, it's a gracious act. And these people wanted to demonstrate grace in their giving as grace had been given to them. See, they had great needs. But, but they begged to be allowed to give away assets. Paul apparently did not ask them because he knew they didn't have much. But these Macedonians understood the riches of the gospel that had been shared with them by these Jewish Christians. And so they wanted to express their appreciation, Romans 15, 27. See, when we experience the grace of God, have you experienced it? When we experience the grace of God in its full impact, we will not look for excuses to avoid giving. We will look for opportunities to give regardless of our circumstances. See, here's the thing. Grace not only frees us from our sins. Grace frees us from ourselves. So we can give by faith. And when you give by faith, it means that you're trusting God to supply what's needed later. Because you're giving away what you have now. For some of us, God never gets a chance to give to us because we're holding on to everything. But if we want to experience the grace of God in giving, we've got to empty our hands. At least share what we've been given. Have you experienced God's grace? I want you to think about that for a moment. Have you experienced the profound glorious grace of God does it cause you to give because if it doesn't I'm afraid you may be experiencing something else grace giving by faith also reflects the generosity of Jesus verse 5 they even did more than we had hoped for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. So we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you 
and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Remember, Titus delivered what was the uh, harsh letter or the scolding letter, which also mentioned uh, giving, apparently. He, he returned to you and to encourage you to finish. It says this ministry of giving in the new living. But again, in the Greek, it says this grace. Some translations say the act of grace, but the original Greek just says, so you will finish this grace because giving by definition is a grace. Since you excel in so many ways, in faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love for us, from us. I want you to excel also in this grace or this gracious act of giving, this translation says. But here's, here's the point here. He's saying, you folks have all kinds of gifts. You speak well, you have strong faith, you have deep knowledge of God and his word, you have enthusiasm or zeal, but you need to excel in grace as well. In other words, he's saying one's not a substitute for the other. Some of us think, well, I I give some time at church. Well, I, I, I I teach a class at church. That's my giving. Well, no, that's part of your giving. Because what Paul's saying is, yes, use your gifts and that's a grace and the grace of giving. In other words, there's no excusing us from giving. And giving, probably more in our culture even than in Paul's, shows the state of our hearts. What's the level of grace in your heart? I'm not commanding you to do this. See, grace giving must be willing. But I am testing how genuine your love is. Love for Jesus, love for other believers. By comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. You know the generous grace, there it is again, charis of our Lord Jesus. Though he was rich, how was Jesus wealthy? How was he rich? How was he rich? In grace, but where was he rich? In heaven, he was rich. Y'all get too spiritualizing. This is just a plain question. Where was he rich? He was rich in heaven. He lived preexistently in heaven's glory, John 17, 5. And yet for your sakes, he became poor. Where did he become poor? Oh. How did he become poor? Say it louder. He gave up his throne and he took on what? He took on flesh. He took on humanity. That's how he became poor. And not only did he become human, which was in one sense 
impoverished. He took on the lower social class of humanity. You would think he could have chosen and become his royalty, don't you? Uh Uh-uh. He came in among people of the lowest class. They They weren't immoral people. They were just working class people. But he also became poor when he took on our sin and he lowered himself even more so that by his poverty, his humanity, but also his suffering and his death for our sakes, he could make you rich. I mean, how many of you feel rich today? Some of us feel sorry for ourselves, don't we? And yet, you've been made one of the wealthiest people in this world and in the next because you've been given the gift of salvation. You have an inheritance in God's kingdom. And you don't go into God's kingdom as a servant. You go into God's kingdom how? As a family, as a son, as a daughter, as a co-heir with Jesus. Do you realize that? You don't go in inferior. You go in as Jesus does. Now that's something to be excited about, isn't it? But how is it that we can miss out on all this wealth we've been given and spend our time looking at our checkbook? And you'll be glorified one day. I don't know at what age you'll be set, but I don't think you'll lose your hair anymore. Paul challenged these Corinthians to display their love by imitating Jesus' self-sacrifice. If we give ourselves to God, we will also give our possessions to him. I mean, how many of you got married and told your spouse, now I'm giving you myself, but I'm not giving you my checkbook. Anybody pull that? No. 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 So then why do we think with God, oh no, I'm giving all of myself to God, just do not touch my wallet. Don't expect you to give any of my possessions. We totally misunderstand that relationship, don't we? Well, does your life and your giving habits reflect the generosity of Jesus? Grace giving by faith remembers to follow through. Verse 10. Here is my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. See, Paul had encouraged this collection in what we refer to as the harsh letter that Titus delivered. Last year, you were the first who wanted to give. And you were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. In other words, 
follow through. Intent is not sufficient. A promise to God needs to be fulfilled. You know, I've, I've been here 28 years. You said, goodness, I thought you were pushing 100 by now. But. And I've had numerous experiences where people were about to have a windfall. You know what I'm talking about? They were, they were about to inherit, because it takes a while to, for that to really roll out, but you get notice of it in the beginning. And so a business was being sold, someone passed away and left a big uh, gift in a will. And several people through the years told me, I'm getting a big um, blessing. And so I'm going to give back for the building fund, for the mission program, for some cause here. So you just look for it. <laughs> How many of those checks do you think arrived? How many do y'all think? 20%. Somebody over there said zero. Somebody over there, what do you think? Zero. Never once. Here's what happens. Here's what happens. See, when people first learn they're getting this big contribution, they, they feel a little uneasy about it, you know? And so they start promising slivers of it out. And they're going to pass it out because it's all new to them. And it's a little bit, they, they feel almost embarrassed, you know, for, by, that, by the riches. But see, by the time they get to actually getting the check in their hand, they've gotten real comfortable with that money. And we've never gotten any of it. Sometimes the people later disappeared from the church because they'd made this promise and they didn't know whether I looked or not. But I did look. <laughs> so if you don't want me looking, don't promise something. But you're really not promising me, you're really promising God. Continue in verse 11. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. The Greek is prohumia and it means readily, willingly. In other words, not begrudgedly, not in a stingy fashion. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. So you don't, you don't have to give all your wealth away. You give according to what you have, but you have to square up what you're given with God. Paul encouraged these Corinthians to give according to their desire and their means. And, and when we give willingly, according to what we have, we are practicing grace giving. Because grace brought it in and you graciously give it out. But the way you give should be reflective of the way it was given to you. You see? Verse 13. Of course, I don't mean that you should 
that your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. Do you see how reasonable this is? Sometimes we will make an extreme argument for why we're not going to give. Don't we? Well, well, those people, they can work. Why should I be giving them something? I had to work for this. But look what he's saying. I'm not telling you to make life easy for others and hard for you. I just mean there ought to be some equality. Paul doesn't intend to the churches in Corinth and Jerusalem to trade financial situations. Verse 14, right now you have plenty and can help those who are in need. Later, they will have plenty and they can share with you when you need it. In this way, things are equal. In other words, the situation may reverse later. So Paul's recommending the churches to aid each other to, to, to count each other as part of their family. This, one, this church has need. This church has plenty. Let's share. And that's what we should be doing now. Because these famines would occur in different places and persecution wouldn't happen to everyone the same. Verse 15. As the scriptures say... Those who gathered a lot had nothing left over. And those who gathered only a little had enough. Where's that quote from? Don't look down at the bottom, y'all tell me. Say it. Somebody over here is mumbling. They don't want to be exposed, see? Is that you, Lisa? Are you mumbling? Where's that quote from? Yes, who said that? Don or Robert? Don or Robert? They both did. Okay. That is a reference to God supplying the needs of the Israelites in the wilderness by providing them what? What else? Where's the quail man? Where's the bird man? Yes. But the quail killed some of them because they wanted it so badly, they stuffed themselves. They didn't like just the manna. They started complaining about the manna. Free manna tasted like a honey wafer is what it said, what I'm told. But God supplied everyone according to their need. But there's a lesson that came out of the Exodus um, episode about the manna. Gather what you need. Share what you can. But if you hoard God's provision, it will, what? Rot. What would happen to it? Tell me, what happened? What was it? It went bad, but what happened literally? It got infested with what? With maggots. And it stunk. That's what the scripture says in Exodus 16. God knows what you need, but will you trust him to give it as you need it? In other words, if you're going to hoard it all up, it's going to stink and rot. Do you rely on God to supply what you need? Are you hoarding all of his gifts? 
That's not living by faith, is it? Grace giving by faith realizes that God is the provider. Jump down to chapter nine at verse six. I'm not gonna go through all the narrative passages. I want you to get the principles of this. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Now, how do we know this? What's the more familiar phrase here? You reap what you sow, absolutely. So you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Cheerfully. In other words, our motive in giving matters to God. If we can't give willingly, cheerfully, the Greek word here is hilaros. In other words, can you give hilariously? Or if you don't give at all. We have people in our church that give nothing at all and never have. But that's an attitude, that's not an ability. And if you're someone that gives begrudgedly or not at all, then you need to ask God by his grace to touch your heart so that you can give. Because as this passage clearly says, you may have to give out so God will give in. And you definitely want to be in relationship with God so he's providing And then he can use your gift and he can bless your life. Verse eight, and God will generously provide. Again, generously provide is God will grace you with all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. In other words, whatever you have now, is there some of it that you should be sharing? Is that what it says? Y'all answer me. Why are y'all quiet? What you have right now from God has given you enough to share something. Isn't that what it says? Or am I misreading it? The Corinthians may have been hesitant to give because of the uncertainty in their lives. Well, you know what? Look at the uncertainty in our lives. We're here in the, the stock market might crash. We're here in, well, we don't, we're not hearing, we're seeing. Gas prices are going up. Prices of groceries are going up. The ships are, containers are full, but they can't dock. So what's gonna happen to us? Prices are going up with everything. So, Maybe you shouldn't give. Is that what what it said? That's when you give more. That's when you give more and you trust more. You learn to trust more. Because here's the thing. If you hoard it and you say, I'm going to take care of myself, I believe God will let you. 
You know, when Leanne and I were in seminary, I don't know where she's sitting. There she is. But we got married and I invited Leanne into the land of few means. <laughs> and so we didn't, we didn't have a washing machine or a dryer. So I found one. Somebody was leaving the country. They were being, ex, you know, kicked out actually. So they had to get rid of their stuff. So I got a washer and a dryer. I said it was $50 earlier, but it might've been 65. What do you remember, Leanne? For both of them. Now they were all rusty and all, but we were living in Jackson, Mississippi. I was in second year seminary. We later moved to North Carolina where I finished the third year of seminary. Loaded those rusted $65 washers and dryers up. Then I later got a position at a church in Texas. So we hauled that washer and dryer to Texas. And it kept working until I got a position and a paycheck. And that washer and dryer died not long after moving to Texas because then I could pay for it. But here's the thing. If you want to rely on God, you have to put yourself in a position where you must rely on God. And a lot of us never experience the provision of God. You know why? Because we're hoarding it up so we don't ever have to rely on him. Is that true? You ever have to do that in China? Paul reminded them God is faithful. He will provide all that they need and, and will give enough to give something away. God's not ever going to give you an insufficient amount to be like him to be gracious. Verse nine. As the scriptures, Psalm 119, 112.9 say, they share freely and they give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever by God. Because see, being, being sensitive to other people in need, sharing possessions with the poor are, are one of the most godlike things we can be. And God remembers that because they reflect his character. Verse 10. For God is the one who provides seed to the farmers and then bread to eat. That's from Isaiah 55. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. You want God to produce generosity in you? You've got to give. God provides for his creation. So the Corinthian believers could, could feel confident that they could give generously to this collection for the church in Jerusalem. But here's the thing. How confident are you that God will meet your needs? Have you never been in a place where he 
did. I've seen it so many times, but you gotta be needy. I've told you at the time I had to, I hadn't been married long. I didn't have much in my check book. I had to pay tuition, at least $600. That was half of the tuition for seminary. Now think about this. I've got this beautiful young wife who's relying on me and I'm about to get kicked out of seminary for non-payment. And I said, God, I'm really in a mess. I got this new wife. I don't have enough in, after the wedding and all. I don't have enough to pay tuition. You've got to help or I'm going to be booted. Check my mailbox every day. The last day when the check was due, open it up. A friend of mine sent me a check for $600. He said God told him to send it. And my commitment to God was I would never tell anybody I had a financial need. And I would learn whether he was reliable or not. And he always was. But do you give cheerfully, trusting God to meet your needs? Grace giving by faith results in glory for God. Verse 11. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. God gives always enough for you to give some. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving, again, from this grace. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. The the Corinthians' generosity would not only meet these practical needs in Jerusalem, it would grow their faith because they would know that it was only because of God that these people who were Gentiles, who would have hated them, were giving of their resources to supply their needs. It would build the faith of the people in Jerusalem and they would praise God for their needs being met And it would teach generosity for the Corinthians who then would love that God, learn that God would be faithful to supply their needs. Verse 13, as a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace. Again, it only says grace. God has given to you. Every day in India, thousands of children pray for our church by name, pray for several of us individually by name every day because they know that God feeds them from our hand, from him, from God to us, and then back to these kids in India. 
2 Corinthians 9, 15 says, thank God for this gift too wonderful for words. Jesus graciously gave us salvation through his life, death, and resurrection. Does the generosity of Jesus giving you eternal life encourage generosity in you? Because if it doesn't, there's something missing. Take out this insert. I'll be very brief, but I just want you to see what your generosity at Brookwood does. We have 70 serve team opportunities here. We have 18 community partners. We have 10 mission trips that are both locally and abroad. And your giving funds all of these. Our outreach giving, which means not to our members, but to the community and abroad, comprises 32% of our ministry plan. I don't know another church in America that gives that high of a percentage. There may be one, I'm sure there is, but we wanted our church to be a place that was known by God, but by us as a place of generosity that tries to give away rather than consuming everything. I wish we could give more than we could consume. Now, understand this. In that 32%, it does include the payroll of the staffing that works in the outreach area, and it includes a portion of overhead. But you can see the actual gifts, local and domestic gifts, 165000 a year. International gifts are over $1 million per year. We give significantly to Set Free Alliance, over $800,000 a year. Well, why so much? Well, because 10 years ago, it was presented to, you, to us an opportunity to relieve a need that was so great at, among a people who had no way to provide for themselves. These were untouchables. They were not schooled. They could not find jobs unless they were of the lowest, lowest. They could do some cleaning. They could do some, um, just some janitorial stuff. But even then, it was very meager, some sanitation type work. And so we prayed and we fasted and our church voted to support this mission. Thus far, this ministry, which morphed into Set Free Alliance, has helped over 52,000, I mean, 50,000 children escape slavery. They are sold into slavery by indebted parents. Some of these children beyond this number were given to our, our pastor partners because their parents some of them had AIDS, were dying. Some of them were prostitutes, didn't want the children to be sold into prostitution. And so the number of children just kept rising. And today, Set Free Alliance, which began in this church, but was organized so they could raise additional monies beyond our walls, is today caring for 9,128 children at a cost of 58 but they're not all being taken care of. So before you clap, I'd rather you reach for your wallet at a cost of 
$58 per month. Brookwood supports 1120 through our ministry plan. 1,800 children are supported by monthly gifts. Many of you give monthly, I do as well. 1,400 children are supported from Indian churches, from businesses in India, and from other children who have been trained in technical, they've had vocational training, and they've gotten jobs, 910 of them, and they give back. But you can tell the the numbers don't add. Sometimes these kids eat, eat two meals, sometimes they eat one. We can, make, we can close that number, but it means all of us need to give. Well, I can't, I can't afford $58, then give eight or give one, but just start giving. God said, you give what you can give. You give an appropriate amount for you. But I think all of us need to be givers because as we experience grace, we need to demonstrate grace. And the greatest need for these kids in India is financial support monthly. I want to urge you as I close to make a commitment to grow in this grace of giving. If you don't give here, and this is is your church, then I urge you to start giving. You can check the box on the back of the insert. You say, well, you know what? I've given a little bit, but it's time for me to increase. Then I urge you to check that box. Or I urge you to give directly to Set Free. You can go to the information desk. You can sign up today. You can fill this out. You can drop these cards in the drop slots that are throughout the building. You can drop the card off at the information desk. You can mail it in. But I urge you to do something. How did praying five minutes work for you? Five minutes a day. You know what? I think there's a greater spiritual sensitivity in this room this week. And I think it's because many of us, many of you are starting the day with God. You say, well, I couldn't do it seven days. Do it five. If you can't do it five, do it four. Let's all start our days with God. It'll make a difference. One, it'll show in our willingness to give. It'll show in the presence of the Spirit in this room. And so let me urge you, continue, if you will. Please continue. Start your day with God. Only five minutes. And next Sunday is the first Sunday of the month. I urge you to come and be part of the watchers group. We're watching over this body in prayer. We're watching over this community. We're watching over this world. We're trying to pray down revival because it is much needed in our nation. So I look for it. You can only come one Sunday a month. Next week, 815 right here. Our Our care volunteers will be here to pray with you, to talk with you as I'll close with prayer. Father, I pray that we would be a people who appreciate your grace on our lives. And because of that, we're compelled to be gracious to others, to support our church, to support people in need, even in India, far away. 
So Lord, give to us so we might give out to others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please stack the chairs. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. At Brookwood, we want to help you pursue a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience a transformed life. One way you can do this is by getting connected at Brookwood. Please email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call 864-688-8326 to speak to someone on our Connections team. If you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast. Thanks for listening. Have a great week.